Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go, Draft Knicks. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of Draft Nation Podcast. My name is Joe 412, and I will be your host for the next 30 minutes. Before we begin, we want to thank our sponsor, iHeartRadio, where you can find all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free, all the time. And for those of you who have not listened to our show, Draft Nation is a national e-magazine that hyper-focuses on all four major sports and the professional draft. So we cover things like player scouting, mock drafts, free agency, salary cap provisions, and of course, the needs of your favorite teams. And with me tonight, I have Jeff Hartman from the Steel City, or excuse me, Steel Curtain Network. Jeff, welcome to Draft Nation, and are you ready to go on the clock? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do this. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure, man. So let's jump right in. I mean, the Steelers preseason has everyone buzzing about the team and the maturity of some of its younger players. Through your eyes, what kind of potential do you see this team having this season? Well, the potential, they have a lot of potential, and it's just a matter of whether they're going to live up to that, especially on the offensive side of the ball. still extremely young. When you think about the players that are not in their first NFL contract, it's a very short list. Um, you'd have Mason Cole, Isaac Sayamalo, James Daniels, Chutes core for, but you still have Dan Moore, Broderick Jones, George Pickens, it, Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, Kenny Pickett, Pat Fryermuth, all those players I just mentioned, and Connor Hayward didn't even mention him, Darnell Washington, I could go on. It's so young, and so there's going to be some growing pains, but the potential for them to be dynamic is there. And then when you look on the other side of the football, on the defensive side, well, you've got some youth that's being infused in with some of these stalwarts that are just so good with Cam Hayward, Minka Fitzpatrick, TJ Watt. You, you add players to the mix. Uh, when you're talking about a completely revamped inside linebacker room, new safeties, I think on the defensive side, you know, the offense is young and, and up, up and coming. The defensive side, I look at that and say, what are they going to do different this year that we haven't seen in the past with this new casting characters? I'm really excited for this season to start. Yeah, you know, you hit on a few salient points that we're going to get into in a, in a deeper dive a little later on, but uh you know, GM Omar Khan and assistant GM Andy Weidel this past season went out and addressed offensive line and the defensive line via free agency and then in, in the draft. 
in your opinion, which were the more significant moves, and did they do enough to make this team a playoff team again? Well, I think that you just mentioned the the trenches, like the offense and defensive line. That's where they needed to improve the most. Sure, last season we got better as the offensive line was able to have this unparalleled health that I don't think I've ever seen in my life where only two players missed any snaps, and one of them was like one. I think Chooks Accord for missed one snap, and Mason Cole missed a, a handful. It, that's never going to happen again. And it, I think they realized relying on someone like Kevin Dotson to continue, like, hey, we need you to get better, they weren't about to wait around. And so they go out and get Isaac Samalo, a huge upgrade. And they also bring in Nate Herbig, good depth, good quality depth, and it equated in Dotson leaving. And then you look at the defensive front, and you look at them getting Keanu Benton in the second round. You look at the, the, them re-signing Larry Ogunjobi to a multi-year deal and, and putting the faith in him to be that guy alongside Cam Hayward. They invested in the trenches for once, and I think the fan base was really kind of screaming for this for a while. And if you look at Andy Weidel's track record, going back to Baltimore and then especially in Philadelphia, that's where he had his – that was his calling card, was to have dominance on the offensive-defensive line. Are they there yet? Uh, I wouldn't say that they're there yet, especially on the offensive line, but they're at least trending in the right direction. I think that's noteworthy. So you, you mentioned Dotson. I'm also going to mention Kendrick Green, even though I think he was a, a bust from the day they drafted him. You know, from a depth perspective, as a follow-up to the offensive line question, I mean, do you is it your sense that they they're free and clear? Like these guys moving them on for future draft assets were, were that was the right move for them, or or did we make ourselves thin by moving those guys on? Uh, you do make yourself thin uh, by doing that. And I, I think that, though, that, that that does scream to, you know, while you might be saying from the outside looking in, okay, they just they might have just shot themselves in the proverbial foot based on the fact that you send away Kevin Dotson and a lot of starting experience. That, that That does speak volumes to what they think about Nate Herbig and his health. That does speak volumes to um, seventh-round pick Spencer Anderson and what they think he could do. At a great, great call, position. great call. And and so when you have these, it's kind of like a narrative that's only one way. Yeah, you could say now they're a little thin, but it also could be that they really like what they already have and they felt that it was expendable and it was a move they could make that they can increase assets down the road, which is very noteworthy for Omar Khan. Everyone thinking that he's all in right now, yet his trading, even just before the cutdown day, says that he's not all in on this one team. He's trying to gain and garner more future picks. And maybe that is to be aggressive in a draft and draft a trade, but you have to have those picks to make those trades. I love the moves. I think it speaks volumes about what they feel, about what they have on their current roster. And I like the, the trades themselves and what they garnered in, in return. So if the, if the LA Rams are awful, a lot of people are expecting them to be bad. That could be a pretty big swing in those fourth and fifth rounds. Yeah, I think that you're right on in that respect. I mean, it's always good to – it reminds me of the Philadelphia Eagles and what we've seen, you know, in the last few years. And Weidel bringing that back home to Pittsburgh, you know, and doing the same thing here, not only just building in the trenches, but also not being afraid to use that draft capital to move up and back. Uh, and those extra pieces – look, I mean, those extra pieces, you know, were, the, the, you know, the Steelers this past season were able to – 
to to do that. Even in the last year, I mean, going back to the Chase Claypool trade, uh, you know, yeah. moving Claypool at the trade deadline, getting a pick that ended up being the first in the second round for them this year, moving, uh, you know, down and it, you know, it may have cost them Trenton Simpson as an inside linebacker. I know that they were looking at him, but they ended up getting Darnell Washington, and then you know they moved, you know, they moved a piece to get, you know, by moving back. In that third round, they picked up that fourth round, and they were able to get Nick Herbig, which we'll get into in a little bit here. So I agree with you. You never, ever, ever have too much or, you know, draft capital. You can always move around and make those things happen. But I know we just talked about the offensive line and a little bit about the defensive line, but let's move to a subject you addressed a little earlier, which is their defensive backfield. I mean, they nearly made an, a wholesale change. I mean, Cam Sutton was out. Patrick Peterson in, Edmonds out. They have two free agents they bring in for safety, uh, and then they use their number one or their their number one pick in the second round of the draft, Joey Porter Jr. Is this defensive backfield better than it was last year? Even though they haven't played a game yet, are you are you confident that they've improved? Uh, you know, think, and I'm not even yeah. talking with the addition of Desmond King. Yeah, I think there's going to be some serious growing pains and communication issues early on. I'm not expecting this group to come out, whether it's, you know, you're talking about all these moving pieces. And so let's say that they're in a sub package with Keanu Neal, DeMonte KZ, and Minka Fitzpatrick in that three safety set that everyone talked about last year with Brian Flores when he was in Pittsburgh coaching. And let's say that they're going light. And so they have Joey Porter Jr. out there. Maybe Levi Wallace is off the field with Patrick Peterson. And, and you just think about all those new faces and all the different, you know, the communication aspect and the deep half of the secondary is so critical. I I've never would never think that this would be a situation where I would expect it to be smooth from the get-go. Uh, from a depth perspective, I love the Desmond King acquisition. He was, I can't, so can't believe he was cut by Houston. I understand why. It's a great pickup for Pittsburgh. I just really wish Corey Trice was healthy. If I could just say that, like if there was one guy – that if you could just say, man, I wish he wouldn't have gotten hurt because if he's there, then that changes a lot. That his skill set was perfect for what the Steelers want on the outside. I'm not saying he would have played a lot, but if he would have remained healthy, I would have been way more confident about the team's depth at the cornerback position, especially on the outside. Not, it's an unfortunate break for the rook, but I think that the Steelers have made appropriate moves, mainly Desmond King acquisition, to kind of band-aid that for a year. You know, that's funny you mentioned Corey Trice because, you know, he was having – I, I think he was a perfect draft choice. I can't believe he slid to the seventh round. And for, for a team like the Steelers, he's the right guy uh, to play in their system. And he was, you know, surprisingly good in camp prior to his injury. And speaking of surprises in camp, you know, we're not talking about, you know, Broderick Jones here or Joey Porter Jr., uh, or not even Darnell Washington, but this fourth-round edge rusher named Nick Herbig. I mean, is he for real, or is this just like a preseason you know, blip on the radar? Is this a guy that's going to get appreciable playing time in your eyes, or where do you see him fitting in? I mean, it just looks like he's he's the real deal, and they got they got to steal in the fourth round. He, people ask me about this guy, and I say the same thing. He looks like a Pittsburgh Steeler. Like, you see him on the field, and, and the people that aren't Steeler fans don't understand this, but they're like, how can someone look like a Steeler? And I don't even know how to describe that, but he looks like a Pittsburgh Steeler. The way he carries it's himself. so right. The way, so the way right. he plays. Like it, it's really uncanny. 
but he just reeks of a stealer. It's so great to see him in Pittsburgh. I, I, I was on record. You can hear my on my podcast by saying I thought he was nothing more than as a rookie, a special teams guy. Like, go down there with your hair on fire and make a special teams play. I think he'll do that. But, boy, has he shown a lot of upside in this very short amount of time in training camp and the preseason. I think that you're going to see Nick Herbig sparingly early in the season, barring injury. I think that you're going to see him come in only when, let's say, T.J. Watt needs a break, especially if they're in an obvious passing situation. The kid has some dudes. I mean, and he's learned from some really good, the really good pass rushers in Watt and Highsmith. He has taken little bits and pieces, the ghost move of T.J. Watt. He's attempted the spin move of Highsmith, which that's a tough move to master. Highsmith is really good at it. Uh, but I've just been so impressed with this young man. It's got me really excited about the future of the position. But this year, early on, I think they're going to be like, hey, we got to ease him into this. But I do think you're going to see Nick Herbig on the field. I think you're going to see him, you know, like, again, early, uh, not too much, maybe 15 or so defensive snaps a game. But look for him in those obvious passing downs where he can pin his ears back. He's got one job, rush the passer, go make a play. I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when they drafted him, I thought this is a Tomlin positional flexibility thing. I thought that they missed on Trenton Simpson. He ends up going to Baltimore uh, with the trade down to get the extra pick in the fourth round that they had traded away to move up to get Broderick Jones. And, you know, I, my my thought was, you know, what are, what are they doing with this guy? Are they going to kick him inside and, you know, try to make him like the Chad Brown scenario from the 90s or or whatever, and then he comes into camp, and he just continues to impress. And I, you know, I was watching with great intent the game against the Falcons because you're talking about he came in in a substitutional situation for Highsmith. He was still playing the number one left tackle for um, for the Atlanta Falcons, and he beat him on three consecutive plays, he, and he beat him on three different moves. I mean, the yeah. first, you know, he he came in and. And it was was there just like hand in the ground, beats the guy to the edge, gets to the quarterback. Uh, on, a, on the third play, he causes a fumble, like a strip sack uh, in that game. And, you know, he showed, you know, if you would not have known that his number was different, he looked like T.J. Watt. You know, just coming yeah. from the opposite side and the number was a little different, but he has the same body type. And um, it was just – it was ridiculously refreshing to see a guy like that. And, and you know, they you – know, I honestly think that he has all the goods through the scouts' eyes. You put on him, you see he's got he's got the speed, he's got the power. He clearly is going to be able to get the edge, um, and, and you know even his his game balance, like just his his contact balance. He, he was falling over on that play and still made a uh, you know made a play on the quarterback. And you know that's the kind of stuff that that uh, you know defensive coordinators love to see, but. Let me pivot on you. Speaking of balance, let me pivot on you a little bit and talk, <laughs> uh, you know, at 30,000 foot level, the AFC North is a, man, that's a tough road to hoe. I mean, the Bengals are at the top. Uh, the Browns are clearly looking to be improved, whether or not Deshaun Watson, you know, allows them to do that this year. I think that they, they do look improved. Uh, and of course with Lamar Jackson coming back and, and looking healthy, the Baltimore Ravens are never an easy out. But, you know, this division looks pretty tough. I mean, are the Steelers contender here for the division? Or, or you know, do you think that they sneak into the playoffs, the back end of the wild card, or, or are they, are they going to miss it? Are they still a year away? 
I think they absolutely are a playoff contender. And I think the AFC North is up for grabs. And, you know, yes, the front runner might be Cincinnati. Historically speaking, no team in the AFC North since it became its own entity in 2002 has never won the division three years in a row. Never happened. So something to think about there. I believe in that stuff. Some people don't say what you will. As for the way they stack up, uh, I think that Pittsburgh, they have a very good – they, they match up well against Baltimore. Uh, they match up well against Cleveland, especially if Deshaun Watson does not regain his pre-suspension form. It's Cincinnati that is the out for Pittsburgh. They, they can move the ball in a multitude of ways. Uh, they're dynamic. Now, I, then again, as soon as I say that, my mind goes to the new offense in Baltimore, which might be more dynamic than what we've seen under Greg Roman in the past. So I, I look at this in a, in a multitude. In, in, you know, like you said, at 30,000-foot level, I don't see any reason why the Steelers can't compete in the division. They don't have a really difficult schedule this year. You know, they're, they're playing a third-place schedule. So you have Cincinnati, who still has to play the Buffaloes, the Kansas Cities. You know, the Steelers don't have that on their schedule this year. So, therefore, they're playing a much softer schedule. This is the year that you maximize that window I think they're going to be vying for a division title. I'm not going to predict that they get there. I do think they do get to the playoffs, though. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right in, in, on a couple of, of notes here. I mean, obviously the Steelers are going to be improved. I think you've got a personnel improvement. I think you've got depth. Uh, and then you've got another year of experience uh, for for Kenny Pickett. And I think that Pickett showed improvement those last six or eight games of last season. We've seen him go through nearly a perfect preseason, uh, the kind of stuff you want to see in terms of growth. And you mentioned it before, a lot of young guys. There are going to be some growing pains. They're going to make some mistakes. You know, maybe this isn't the year to win the division, but it's a year to perhaps get back into the playoff pitcher uh, and uh, and compete for, for a wild card there. I agree with you there. I also think that, you know, uh, Todd Munkin, the, the Baltimore Ravens, you know, sure, they're trying to improve that Greg Roman running game, running style kind of thing. But I, I, I honestly think Lamar Jackson's tapped. Uh, you know, I think we've seen his best days. Uh, he's not the kind of quarterback that improves with age. Uh, you know, he's going to lose those legs. He's already lost in the last couple of years. He hasn't finished, uh, you know, either of the last two seasons. I'm not sure he's going to finish this one. You know, and I'm not sure what they did. I mean, Zay Flowers might be the sexy, you know, choice there, you know, but they still – we'll see what happens with that receiver. I mean, I, I don't think if, – if you can't hit him, it doesn't matter how fast he is. Uh, you know, and I'm a big Zay Flowers fan. I mean, I really think the guy is like Steve Smith incarnate. He just reminds me of that kind of player. But when you, you get down into the weeds, I'm not sure Baltimore's that, you know, any you know is going to make any noise. I mean, they, they'll be competitive because Harbaugh is a good coach. And they always are competitive, uh, but I think that they've kind of it's kind of tapped out, and I'm not sure that the long-term signing of Lamar Jackson helps them. I think that Deshaun Watson might be a surprise to people if he can get back to his Houston Texans form. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the the Bengals are the team to beat. Um, you know, and we'll see. I mean, we're, we're at that point where, uh, like you said, I mean, three years in a row. That's you know, going for the hat trick. We'll see if anything happens there. But you know, before they get to the Bengals game, they're going to play game one. And game one, you know, this coming week is against San Francisco at home. 
How do you see them stacking up against one of the NFC's best teams? Well, I mean, for the Steelers, it did, you know, Mike Tomlin spoke to the media on Tuesday, and it was really a giant nothing burger. Right? There's no injuries. There's no drama. It's just like we're getting ready. You go to the other side of the docket, San Francisco, my gosh, it's like high school musical with all the drama. I mean, you got Nick Bosa holding out. George Kittle might miss week <laughs> one for, with a groin injury. And when you have situations like that, boy, does that change the dynamic and the tenor of the game. So if George Kittle can't play, and some people say, well, Kittle's always hurt. When he is healthy, he's a good run blocker, and he's also very dynamic in the passing game. And Steeler fans know how much they've struggled defending tight ends over the years. It's just always been that Maybe Quan Alexander changes that in 2023, but I'll believe it when I see it. And then when you talk about Nick Bosa, it's the defensive player of the year last year, folks. This would be like the Steelers missing T.J. Watt. He is that dynamic. So if you take those two players away from San Francisco, they're still going to be really good. But they're not going to be as great as if they were there and healthy and ready to play. So I don't know what to think about that situation. I mean, I'm reading rumors on Twitter that state that, you know, Bosa could be with the team tomorrow if they get a deal done and he's in the best shape of his life and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Uh, we've seen this with other players that have kind of – T.J. Watt two years ago at the Holden in Buffalo – kind of the week of, and he signs, he plays. He's gassed a lot during the game because he wasn't used to real game speed. But people have asked me, what do you think about week one? How do you think it's going to play out? Who who are they going up against? I'm not worried about Brock Purdy. I love the Steelers' pass rushers against the San Francisco tackles, which I don't think are very good. I think that they're inexperienced, and you put whether it's T.J. Watt, Nick Herbig, Alex Highsmith, Marcus Golden – I think the Steelers could have a could have a giant meeting at Brock Purdy on multiple occasions. That's not my concern. My concern is Christian McCaffrey. Can they stop Christian McCaffrey and the way that they utilize him and Kyle Shanahan's misdirection and Debo Samuel? They have a lot of weapons. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be a very low scoring game. I think the over under last I saw was forty one. So that tells me that uh, odd makers think it's going to be low scoring as well. So uh, I, I do think the Steelers, though, at least defensively match up well. Offensively, it's tough for me to predict anything. Again, that San Francisco defense is really, really good. Even without those, so Javon Hargrave, Steelers are very familiar with him. Uh, Fred Warner, obviously, is a, is a name in and of itself. The Steelers are going to have, it's going to be tough sledding offensively. If fans are out there thinking it's going to be a every drive is a touchdown, like in the preseason, you haven't been watching the San Francisco 49ers very much. I'll put it that way. Yeah, you know, the Bosa thing is big news. Uh, if he signs, if he doesn't sign, if he misses week one, if he plays, uh, that's just monster news, and that could play in the Steelers' favor, even if he does play because of the lack of uh, practice time he's had and, and real game experience that he's had you know, leading up to it. I think the T.J. Watt example of what happened in Buffalo a few years ago is a is exactly what they can expect, regardless of how in shape he is. You never are until you're under the clock. I mean, that's just the the, the way it is. And you're right. I mean, Purdy isn't a threat as much as he is. Just he's, he was he was very adequate last year on a team with so many weapons that you know all you had to do was get it to somebody and they were going to be fine. Yeah, even their backup running back, uh, was, you know, was was kicking butt and taking names. But um, let me throw this at you because you mentioned Quan Alexander and I, I, I find this intriguing because we, there was a wholesale change at inside linebacker, but what, what's the biggest need left on this team to fill? 
uh, you know, is it still an inside linebacker or is it somewhere else that, you know, you know, looking forward to the 2024 draft or free, a uh, free agent acquisition, you know, with all the cuts, I mean, they, they brought in King or is there a trade before the trade deadline is, is there still a place where they, where you think they can fill this year and make the team better? That's a tough question. And when you think about it, both sides of the football, um, and this year, I, I think if they were to make a move, it would probably be at corner to try and get like another outside corner. But that would base that would be based on maybe Patrick Peterson not having it anymore. But I mean, last year in Minnesota, he could have been a Pro Bowler, and he had a great year, and he he showed zero signs of wear or tear. They took care of him in training camp, and he had vet days off, and he didn't play much in the preseason. So I'm not really betting on that. I like the moves at inside linebacker that they've made. If everyone can stay healthy in that room, they can really mix and match their way through the season. If they have a good feel for what the offense wants to do, they've got the versatility of Quan Alexander, the athleticism, they've got the thumper in the Landon Roberts, and they've kind of got Cole Holcomb that's like the do-it-all guy. He's athletic enough to run with people. He can run and hit. He's a downhill guy as well. He's not the Landon Roberts. He's not the Quan Alexander. He's like both. He's that middle ground. I like that. The one area that I wonder if they could potentially improve upon, and it's something that we haven't seen since Stefan had stepped away from the game, is another really dominant defensive presence on the defensive line. And maybe that will eventually be Keanu Benton, but as a rookie, you can't expect that. And Larry Ogunjobi, is he that guy? And they, they gave him a three-year contract. They believe in him. They, they put their faith in him. Can he stay healthy is my biggest question. But if they could get another to-it-like player alongside Cam, even at the trade deadline, think about what that would do to the defense. It would make the entire defense better. You're going to stop the run better. You're going to be able to pin your ears back as you get them in manageable or obvious down and distances. You're going to force passes where you can take, take the ball away. That's where I would look is on the defensive front. If they were to make a move, if, and, and I'm really happy with what they have, but if I were to make a move, that's where it would be. Yeah, you know, it doesn't surprise that you mentioned that because, you know, uh, they just haven't had a true nose guard since since to it, right? Like they've, they've been mixing and matching, and Ogunjobi's playing there out of position. There's no zero technique on this team. That I think they tried to get that in the offseason, free, free agent acquisitions, and failed to do it. I think Keanu Benton's a little small. I think DeMarvin Leal, uh, you know, might be more of a of a three technique than anything, and they move him in and out. He's a better pass rusher. Then he has a run stopper. Uh, but um, anyway, look, we're getting to the end of the show here, and I do this with all of our guests. We go through a quick lightning round. So I'm going to make these questions a little less serious and, and a little bit sure. more fun. So you, you're ready to get going. I'm going to throw some at you and, and just fire them back at me. Yeah, let's do it. All right, man. So first question, who gets rookie of the year for the Steelers? Uh, Jerry Porter, Jr. All right. Who's the MVP for the team? T.J. Watt. Okay. So, of all of the alternate jerseys that you've seen for the Steelers uh, over the years, do you have a favorite, and which is it? Just give me the freaking block number. That's all I want. <laughs> Just the block <laughs> yeah, Like old school, like the 70s block numbers? <laughs> Just the block numbers. Like, I don't need the color rush. I don't need bumblebees. I don't need – the uh any of them just give me the block numbers so like yeah when they did the 
the Franco Harris on Christmas Eve last year against the Raiders. Like that jersey is perfect. Don't touch Are that they jersey. Not sweet? They're beautiful. Are they not? I, I don't get this whole. I, yeah. I just don't like their current font. It just it lo- always looks like the jersey's torn or just. I don't know. It's just. All it, I, I don't know. I, I, give me give me one game with a gray face mask. That's all I've wanted. Give me one game where they go back to the first two Super Bowl wins where they had a gray face mask. Miami's done it. It looks awesome. Indianapolis has done it. It looks awesome. Give me the gray face mask with the block numbers just one time in my life, and I'll be happy. You know, the Bumblebee ones I hated. I like the ones that had, like, the the Pittsburgh, um, like, the city of Pittsburgh logo on the the front, the the coins, the crest. (laughs) I thought that wasn't bad. You know what I mean? I saw Rudd Woodson in that. That wasn't, it was, you know, it, it wasn't bad. But the color rush, forget about it. The all blacks with the, it's like, oh, just, it's just too much. And it just, I've not seen anything from them except for that city crest one that was even remotely acceptable to me. But, hey, look, what do I do? I'm, you know, they're not listening to me anyway. Exactly. Um, all right. So you've got a magical locker. And in your locker room, you can go back to watch any Steeler game anywhere from the bench. Which game do you go back to? It's going to be a toss-up. Um, it would be a toss-up. Both games are going to be against the Ravens. Uh, it would be either the 08 AFC Championship game where Troy Palomalu picks off Joe Flacco and returns a fair touchdown. Oh, or an amazing would, game, by the way. <laughs> or it would be the, or it would be Christmas Day, the immaculate extension game where Ben hits Antonio Brown and he reaches the ball over the goal line to win the division, punch their ticket to the playoffs. Uh, but you got to go to the AFC Championship game because you know, my cousin was at that game. He said that uh, Heinz Field, which it was at the time, uh, was, was literally, he was in the upper deck, was rocking. Like, it was moving. He said he was actually scared. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was nuts, and it was so cold, so yeah. cold for that game. I can't tell you. We were sitting in a place we wouldn't have been sitting. So it's just ridiculous. So last question before I let you off the hook. Uh, 2024 is going to mark the 50th anniversary of the greatest football draft class of all time. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite Steeler from that 1974 draft class? Oh, that's geez. Like telling ask me which kid I love the most. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the, the more I learn about this class, the more I appreciate more about it. Um, you know, like when as and I'm I'm 40, so I didn't get to see these guys play. Uh, I hear stories, I read books, I watch videos, uh, interviews. You know, I, I, I have an appreciation for Donnie Shell that I never once ever thought I would have. And so, like, that's happened. As, But there, there's something about Lambert. Uh, there's just something about that guy, you know. Yeah. And you read these stories about him before he got drafted where they're doing drills in the parking lot at, in, at Kent State, and he's got gravel in his shins and his legs he's running all over the place he's barking orders i mean everyone always asks me if you could bring back one player to the current team who would it be and i always say the same answer give me jack lambert give me the edge give me give me that guy in the middle no one would want to run up the middle on the steelers even at this day because i i gotta go with him well hey man jeff it's been great having you on the clock here i'm going to let you off the clock uh and again, big thanks to you as a guest in, in Steel City or Steel Curtain Network. I said that twice. I screwed it up. And to our That's sponsor, okay. iHeartRadio. Uh, again, remember when Draft Nation, even though we may be off the air, we are always on the clock for you, Jeff. Thanks again for being on the show. 